This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rule the Rouge podcast. Wow, I mean, just basking in. I'm a, I'm a bit, I'm a bit more sober today. You know, it was the heat of a match against Chelsea. I'm allowed to have, you know, just a couple of little. Um, what is it? Somebody said the other day, beverageinos. That uh, that's apparently what pompous middle class people say about drinking. So you know, I just thought I'd, you know, fulfil to type. But um, we got very, very special guest today. He's he's somebody who you'll hear him, and he, he, I think he's got to have one of the most instantly recognisable voices in the Tottenham sphere nowadays. Um, so, Mr. Rob Daly, how, how, how does that feel, Rob, really? Carrying that that weight on your shoulders? Oh, it's pressure, Jack. Uh, no, it's good, mate. And um, Malsey, who's uh, on um, a lot of the coverage and is the club journalist at Spurs who does the post-match interviews, and Ben have been giving me a lot of stick because... I do the commentary and now I've got an article in the programme and I've got my own camera which looks at me for the pre-match show and they're like, how big is your head getting? What more do you need to do? I'm like a ubiquitous media presence on a Spurs match day. Wait, Hank, so but, you, um, you, you've been elevated to like content. You've got like daily cam now as well, right? Is this, is this what you're saying? That's what, <laughs> mate, that's what they've been calling it. They're like daily cam, Rob cam, because they've got Conte cam. So that's what they've been they've been saying it is, but I don't think. Hopefully, they're not filming me during the game because you wouldn't believe how fat your face looks while you're <laughs> shouting. So I'm hoping that <laughs> that it's that it's literally just pre-match team news, do some analysis, and that's it. But um, especially on a day oh, mate, like yesterday, it. red and kind of I can imagine the heat, you know. Oh, the clammiest man in all of West London, <laughs> but. Um, but no, it's I'm, mate. I'm loving it. I'm loving the job. I'm loving the, the team at the minute, and um, and I loved yesterday. Uh, you know, how could you not? Uh, I mean, like unbelievable. It's it's one of those things that we know now. The way football kind of gets reduced to this war a trophy, what have you won though type thing. But I think a lot of people, maybe they do understand, but a lot of people outside of Spurs probably won't appreciate the significance of that for Tottenham. That's that's a cursed stadium for Spurs. And for, let's say, 95 minutes of that game, it looked like the same old story that we've seen four times, no less, last year. Um, but Spurs f- fought to the end and we managed to come back a point. I mean, 
you kind of in the in the in a sanctimus person now I'm, I'm sure you'll feel kind of quite how big a lift that will be for everybody associated with the club right yeah that it, I, i'm sure it's going to be absolutely massive from what i from what i understand the mood wasn't and there was a little slip actually from harry kane in his match at the dainty where he called his own goal his goal a winner. Oh yeah, I saw and then, that. Uh, yeah, let's get that. And uh, it was it was really good, and it was sort of picked up that it must feel like a winner. But from what I'm told, the players weren't treating it like a win. They saw it as a great result, but very much on to the next one. And I think even the Spurs fans on Twitter, I saw so many like great result, we move kind of kind of things going on. Even though, let's face it, and you addressed it in your immediate review pod. Um, it was a brutal afternoon, in truth. You know, it was re- Chelsea were relentless and um, did the thing that they did last season in all four games, suffocated, like just suffocated Spurs. You're not coming out, you're not playing out. And just as like, you know, Chelsea like this boa constrictor when they play Spurs. And the moment you start to inhale for a bit more air, you think you're getting out of your penalty area, boom, it happens again. I don't know why Chelsea don't do it to every team. I don't know why they don't. They only won nine home games last year, but when they play Spurs, Tuchel just has this way of getting them up for it, this tactical setup that um, is is really hard to play against. And the first five minutes, Jack, I don't know what you thought, but I was like, oh, here we go. Bentecourt, Hoybier on the ball, Chelsea sitting off slightly. This might be different. And then it reverted back to the rhythm of all four games from uh, from last season. Yeah, it, it is funny. I mean, people always talk about kind of club DNA and all this sort of stuff. And I'm, I'm always debating as to how, quite how valid that is. Or, you know, I, I just, I, I don't really know how much I buy it with new sets of players and all this type of thing. And I think we, we saw yesterday, you know, however, like if we are talking about DNA or patterns that occur at stadium, I mean, let's not forget this is a stadium we've won at once in 30 years of trying um <laughs> you know it's 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 really quite depressing stuff but the fact that we have kind of gone there and fought through which is yeah like you're saying a mire it was horrible it was a horrible game horrible result Chelsea's like pressing was dogged it was relentless um and I, I think part of it does play into I, I saw somebody tweet after the game yesterday that you know, there aren't London derbies. There's just Tottenham playing against other London teams. That's not verbatim, but it's something to that effect. Like, it's not a London derby unless Tottenham are involved. And it, it really does feel that way a lot of the time. And it, it's quite funny seeing a lot of reaction from the wider footballing community to that. That it's, uh, yeah, this is a team, this is Chelsea that's stunted a lot of other teams' hopes and dreams and ambitions. Won the Champions League twice, won the Premier League, I think three or four times now. They've won the double... You know, they've had a sort of litany of stars and all manner of other things off field and on field that people may or not want to talk about resulting in the club. But they are, in my eyes, they are one of football's bad guys, right? And the funny thing is that still, even after that game, the ire all seems to be pointed towards Tottenham. Everybody still seems to be so angry with like dirty Tottenham or lucky Tottenham or... Tottenham getting ahead of themselves, Tottenham celebrating a result, but everybody is talking about it. It feels like all eyes are kind of focused very much on what Spurs are doing at the moment because and I really feel this for the first time in my life probably as a Spurs fan, other than maybe after, I've said previously, the very peak of Pochettino's era, but even this feels slightly different. There's a, there's a certain sense that 
Tottenham are a different outfit now and other people are actually starting to get a bit worried about it. Do you know what I mean? No, absolutely. And for the first time, you know, speaking to Chelsea mates before the game, that, that they were worried about yesterday before the game. You know, they were, they were worried that Chelsea, you know, still bidding in these new players, no striker, few injuries, Kovacic, blah, 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 James Chilwell not fit. It was going to be a horrible afternoon. But then they delivered what they can deliver. But um, there is unbelievable focus on Spurs at the minute. I actually think it's going to work against someone like Christian Romero. Um, and I'm sure you want to get onto the Kukurea incident and that, I'm even thinking of that mad tackle he put in that was unpunished in the Southampton win when it was four one. I was sort of like, why did you do why did you do that? But then um I think he's gonna have to be really on a personal level, in terms of focus, he's gonna have to be really careful. Refs are gonna be on him. Fans are now have locked into this idea that, you know, he's got this streak in him, this aggressive streak that, you know, I was listening to the show yesterday and I think anyone who watches Spurs on a regular basis loves. We saw it immediately when he thumped into someone in the West Ham game last season but there is such focus on the team because of right now and for the first time I was, trying, I was trying to ask like people who are a bit older around the club like when did the club last have one of the world's best managers in his pomp come in and not be like Poch become it like appointed yeah, someone yeah. who was ready made and no one could really give me an answer because it wasn't Mourinho was it Mourinho was in his decline if you like after Manchester United and his second at Chelsea this feels different, so I, I completely understand what you mean, but I don't think any of those players are letting them phase, letting it phase them at the minute. I think they they fought and they kept Chelsea at bay. There weren't that many chances for Chelsea, and Chelsea mainly only have themselves to blame for what what happened yesterday. Really, sort of touching on a bit of that though, because I, I would be interested to know, like as somebody who you know is behind the scenes at the club, you must have a feeling of what's going on at the place. What does what does the energy feel like there behind the scenes? Because it, it seems that even so, we saw like Lucas Mora did a, an Instagram kind of post yesterday for his birthday, um, and even Conte himself has done a post to the effect of where it, it seems to be the theme of it all is that you know, well, essentially that they're they're going for something big. You know, they're not they're not explicitly yeah, saying yeah. we're trying to win the league this year, but that seems to be what it is. You know, Mora's whole point was you know. We just have to dream big. We work hard. We have to believe in ourselves. But, you know, we can get there. We're brilliant. And I think Conte, it was some sort of quote on a poster or something on a phone box that was saying, like, you know, just because uh, <laughs> the challenge ahead of you is massive or people will think that you're not... You know, I'm, I'm butchering it, but it was something to the effect of, like, you know, just because the odds are stacked against you, don't let that stop you. Um do you, do you feel that from the people in at the club this year in particular? Does it does it feel like there's a a noted oh, yeah. shift in perception? Absolutely, everything everything feels really different, and I think you, obviously it all hangs on Conte, his mentality, what he's done. The the trying of the way he's trying to change the culture around the club, not only in terms of like these players believing they can win things, but trying to make fans I think understand that. You know, when Basuma was signed, I had mates saying to me, well, who does Basuma come in for? Because mm. Hoybier and Ben School were brilliant last year. And it's like, we, we have to not think about it in that way anymore. City don't, City don't think about it in that, in that way, really. And they certainly don't think about it in terms of their front three. They might do a little bit more with Haaland, but players are interchangeable. This is a squad game. Everyone's in it. And I think what's been so interesting, Jack, is like, 
when Conte this season has been talking about the work he's done, he's been in charge since the end of October, early November, which is 10, 11 months, 10 months maybe. He says the work we've done in the last seven months, seven months, seven months, because I think he points to that window, the players he got out, the players he got in, and the work they started to do, and that being the time where everything changed. And I think there's a great spirit in the group. They all seem like great blokes, don't they? I mean, they just seem like... And as a fan, I'm sure you want to like your players. It isn't just a case of thinking, God, he's a bit of a flash guy off the pitch, but he does it on a Saturday. You do want to like your players a little bit. And I think they all seem like really good friends, really positive. They do have killer players like world-class Son and Kane. They're on the Ballon d'Or shortlist again. There should be belief that something special can happen. Is it a Premier League? It's so hard. It's so hard. We know that. But who knows? And I think there is a real belief. And you can feel it even when you talk to the peripheral figures, Jack, around the club, not necessarily just players, manager, blah, blah, blah. Everyone on the media team, da, da, da. Everyone's got this vibe that things are, are really good at the moment. Well, it's just strange. Like my, you know, my dad is—he's seventy years old now, and he—I <laughs> think he's—he's he's one of those people that just about saw Spurs win the double and thought, "Oh yeah, all right, I've—I've I've picked a—I've backed a good horse." Here. A lifetime of and glory. Then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, but even he's saying, you know, in all the years that he's kind of been watching, I've—I've I've never seen him kind of as excited. He's usually kind of more really? the kind of you know negative old man nowadays. You know, who sort of moans about a lot of this. I mean, like. Uh, he used to I I, I have this running battle with him to this day he couldn't stand Kyle Walker he just he just could not stand him he just had a bee in his bonnet about him oh did he just lock that in and never change 100% exactly even to stay and I'm like dad he's gone on to Manchester he's probably the Premier League's greatest ever right back (laughs) like you have to let this go and he's just like nap nap he's useless yeah all he is is an athlete that's it he's useless I'm like dad that just that is not true I love it but with this team, with everything, and as you say there, with Son and Kane, he he almost doesn't even let me forget, you know, and I, I try not to. I always try to sort of really appreciate what we have in those two. But he is like, look, you know, <laughs> I've seen a lot of players down the years. Like, you know, we've had great players in Hoddle. There's been a few in kind of Sheringham, Bale, these types. But Son and Kane, just enjoy them, you know, enjoy having these players. And these are the type of players that when a team has them, you can win big stuff. And, you know, I think people get quite wrapped up in the whole the transfer window and have we bought a marquee signing or not and debating as to what a marquee signing is. But mm. I don't think that's what Spurs have needed. Like, we've, we, we've got Son and Kane in our team already. You know, we have a player like Kulisevsky who we added just, what, last January, was it? I think, I think, it, was, yeah. I think it was a January signing yeah. who has... He obviously wasn't a marquee signing at the time, but it's gone on to look like an absolute superstar now. But what we've done now is kind of just bolster out the squad. We've got, as you were saying, you know, it's not where's Basuma play, where does Hoybier play, where does Bentenko, but it's, they all play. We're going to play a lot of games this year. And as we've seen sort of demonstrated in these past few games, like against Chelsea, Conte realised the system wasn't working, switched it up with the players at his disposal now. And the game looked very different to what we saw last season when there potentially weren't those other options there. It's not to kind of throw shade at any of the players that were there and, you know, it hasn't worked out. But Conte's obviously decided the type of players he wants, the profile of players, and we are gradually building that. And it just, 
at the moment it looks great because it it it, it doesn't just seem to be you know we, there's this whole focus on Conte just wants tall players big strong players and all this but they're obviously doing a lot of work about into the sort of the personality of these players who's going to mesh well with his team because as you say every single video now you see coming out of Spurs they just it, it reminds me of the peak Pochettino era when it looks like a big group of mates a big group of mates who are all focused but having a laugh as well and really enjoying what they're doing and really enjoying playing with each other I mean it's you know it, you, you can't ask for anything more than that as a as a, as a football fan um talking of content stuff I did, I did want to touch on as well obviously the Conte two-shell kind of stuff that was occurring and has obviously taken a lot of the media focus after the game. I mean, I don't even think I'm biased in saying this. Like, I don't even I don't even think it was like a mutual... It seemed that Tuchel really, like, had it out to try and provoke something with Conte constantly. Uh, and I was actually quite surprised that Conte got a red card at the end of the game yesterday because it, I think Tuchel was quite clearly ag- clearly the aggressor in the the immediate kind of the yellow cards and the red cards afterwards. And I actually... You know, I, I, I kind of didn't like the way Tuchel was just trying to kind of laugh it off afterwards in a way. I mean, I, I, I kind of I got the feeling that he felt a bit embarrassed by the whole thing, that he maybe realised he, he lost his head a bit. And it is quite funny now, again, to see, like we're talking about, a manager at the peak of his powers in Conte. Other managers, these kind of revered managers, someone like Tuchel that's won the Champions League now, still clearly quite rattled by this aura around Conte <laughs> you know it's it's it... I think there was a few things here at play here because in the press conference before the game Tuchel went on this thing about uh he re- you know essentially respected Antonio Conte but he doesn't trust anything he says <laughs> in terms of players who could play or um Tuchel was bigging up you know we all remember Conte post Chelsea games last year saying they're a world away from us. We have so much work to do. Da, da, da. All the lead up to what happened post Burnley, where Conte had every Spurs fan worried for like 48 hours. And then, so Tuchel said all this stuff saying, you know, he's skeptical about anything that Conte says. Because Conte the week before had said Chelsea are title challengers because they have signed good players and blah, 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 blah. So I don't know if that wound up Conte. And then the, the goal 1 1, Conte stepped out of the technical area, not into Tuchel's, but that was the. Obviously, and Tuchel was in the year of the fourth official a lot in that game. Lots and lots and lots. And he was about the Bentacle tackle. And then from that point on, um, there was almost no coming back. Now, Conte could react to Tuchel running down the touchline, couldn't he? As he hinted on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> he, could, could, <laughs> he could have tripped him up or he could have gotten his face. But uh, just left it. And that wasn't... Tuchel didn't end up selling, celebrating with his players. He just did that and ran back. So that was to wind up Conte. Um. And then, obviously, he's frustrated. I mean, I think Tuchel probably did come out of it looking worse. And then the whole handshake thing was... Conte said, let go of me. And Tuchel said, you didn't look me in the eye because he sort of did this... You you didn't look me in the eye when you shook my hand. And then he wouldn't let go of Conte. I mean, it was... You know, I I enjoyed it a little bit, you know. It's it's (laughs) funny, isn't it? But in the moment, it's brilliant. But when you kind of reflect back on it now, when I was watching it this morning, I was thinking like... God, you know, this is this is really like this. This is such a like fragile ego and display from Tuchel here. Like it's, it just... and I think a bit embarrassing for him because look, that's the first home game under the new ownership, 
and he gets into like three or four rucks with, with Antonio Conte, who let's not forget did win Chelsea League title. It's not like he hasn't got any credit at the bank Stamford Bridge, but there is there is something special about that touchline, isn't there, at Chelsea, that just sends managers into absolute tailspins at each other, like Wenger and Mourinho and Mourinho and Conte and Conte and Tuchel. It's uh, yeah, I think I think Tuchel was probably a little bit embarrassed. I saw him doing that flexing muscle thing in his press conference after, and I was like, oh dear. It just, well, not, do you know not. what I mean? It feels like he's trying to turn it all a bit pantomime now to kind of dull the fire a bit, you know? It, it, it's, I mean, whatever, it, it is what it is. And at the end of the day, I think both of their sentiments afterwards were like, look, it's something between the two of us. Just leave it at that. Yeah, uh, but what was interesting about that, Jack, was so I, he did do that. They both just sort of said, you know, heat of the battle, all that kind of shebang. Maybe took to try and avoid any further punishment, but then he went in on um, Anthony Taylor. And um, I think he might get in trouble for that. The stuff he was hinting at was that Anthony Taylor had been biased or something like that to that effect. I haven't read the full quotes, but that if you ever suggest that about a referee, you're in all sorts of bother. So it's like he was trying to get out of trouble for one thing and sort of walked into another I mean, landmine. Con- conspiracies about biased or corrupt referees. I mean, oh. leave, that to our, leave that to the podcasters, you know, the, sort of, <laughs> the bedroom media, you know, like that's... We'll, <laughs> we'll do that for you, Tommy. Yeah, exactly. Don't yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, there's, there's a video, a huge video now doing the rounds on Twitter of some big, like, Chelsea podcaster or something. Actually, it's it's almost like a, a, a politician's address to the nation. He's literally addressing kind of the footballing authorities to look into the an- Anthony Taylor, and he's deadly serious about it. You know, what? just just get over it. Like Tottenham got a draw at Stamford Bridge. Surely you've inflicted enough pain on Tottenham Hotspur over the years <laughs> to just let this one go. But you know, it's let it go. Something very well, the thing with the for all this Taylor stuff, right? Because um, I also saw a compilation of Taylor decisions against Chelsea on Twitter that some Chelsea fan had cobbled together, oh, and yeah. a couple of them you like, you look at them and you go, "Oh, they got hard done by that one. That's a handball by Alexis <laughs> Sanchez before he scores." But then some of them are really spurious, like uh, one of them, Rodri just does a good tackle, and I'm like, "Well, why is that in there?" And then some of these go to VAR. Mike Dean was on VAR. Anthony Taylor had nothing to do with the Kukurea Romero incident at all because Taylor, Taylor's looking at the ball. It was the Mendy save, wasn't it? The Mendy save over the bar. Yeah. Taylor's yeah. Taylor's looking at the ball. Kukurea Romero's off the ball. Mike Dean's the VAR, and it's not the workflow of VAR is not Anthony Taylor goes. I want to have a look at that. He only goes to the monitor if Mike Dean says, "I think that's incorrect." I advise you go to the monitor. So that wasn't even an Anthony Taylor decision in the end. That was a VAR call. They just wait. They said nothing to see there, Anthony. Obviously, because he didn't go to the monitor. So, yeah, we, we all get in these things, don't we, about refs. And you see a ref on the team shoot and you're like, oh, dear Lord, not this guy. Which I think some Spurs fans probably had with Mike Dean for a bit off the back <laughs> of like all the Burnley... The Burnley game with Poch and all that, but um, I still, I still want to know what he said to Poch. I still want to know. To I'd love day, it to this day. You know? Poch needs another book. He needs to get back to Balagay and go. I've got a second book. Or starts with Mike Dean at Turf Moor. <laughs> That's it. Just, just an entire book dedicated to that moment, yeah. and he can go in, into his sort of like his magical realism, universal energy kind of musings about it. I'd love that. Oh, mate. A long. Did you read book. that book, by the way? Did, did you read that book? Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I loved um I loved the bit where um it really stuck in my head. I don't know why Jack, but where 
he was saying, um, I think, because it was like a diary, wasn't it? The way they'd sort of done it. It was like Potch's diary a little bit. And he said, yeah. I think I'm going to play Robbie Williams, this Robbie, really inspiring Robbie Williams song to the players uh, ahead of the next meeting. And I'm reading it going, don't do that. That yeah. is an awful idea. Yeah. And then as the book, yeah. and then as the book goes on, he did do it. And he goes, essentially goes, I shouldn't have done that. They were all <laughs> laughing at me, <laughs> which I loved. I loved it. I it's loved just, it. it's such a, it's, it's coming from such a dad place that, isn't it? You know, Absolutely. Like, so sweet and innocent yeah. and trying to, and uh, they all went, Robbie, obviously just went, Robbie Williams, what? Yeah, like, really? So, um, you know, oh, I loved it. I love that book, mate. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I do. I, you know, it's, it's, and this is the thing, you know, I was thinking like I had that same excitement and, you know, I'm, I wind people up a lot on Twitter with like my outpouring no. of, out, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> my outpouring of love for Pochettino in particular, it, it just, it irks people, you know, get over it. It's in the past. And I understand that to a degree, but still, you know, I think I'm kind of at an age now I'm old enough to have seen, I might not be 70, but still I've seen a fair few managers come and go at Tottenham and I, it, Pochettino was very special. It was a very special time. It's the it's the closest I've ever seen Spurs to being like a super club, probably uh, under mm. him. He was kind of the. He seemed to be like the apex of a of a journey that started with you know maybe someone like Martin Yol that we've spoken about before, and you've seen that kind of progress down the years into Redknapp. A few missteps of the likes of Tim Sherwood, maybe, but still we got yeah. there in the end. And but now it it, it does feel very different because even then under Pochettino there was still this kind of like. We're the upstarts poking our head above the parapet at the moment. But with Conte, it's kind of like, no, we've done that. We've gotten to a Champions League final. We've been in a title race. This isn't new ground to us now. This is kind of us taking the next step on from that. And it feels like we're in a place to do that. But kind of going back on myself here, but like in terms of the needle at, at Stamford Bridge, there is, there's just something in that fixture, right? And the players seem to really feel that too, because we, we, we've, touched on it quite a bit with the Cucurella Romero thing I mean we saw it earlier on in the game whether it's a response to remember right right at the start of the first half and it'll always be a did he mean it didn't he but there was that Cucurella stamp on the Romero quite early on into the yeah. game yeah nine minutes in or something yeah and you do yeah. feel like you do feel that with Romero like we know he because I agree with you he does need to be careful and I think he's a Conte said it before didn't he he said it with a what is it a a uh, hot heart but a cool mind isn't it that he needs to start to play with Romero because we can see it we, we were talking about it in the pod yesterday with with Phil that Romero knows how to leave one on a player but do it in a way that's smart because he's such a good player he can he can make a tackle but also kind of leave one on the player and just let them know that he's there um but with this, with the Cucurella kind of incident, it did feel more like that. When Conte's calling for him to have a cool head, that did feel like the red mist had descended. Because, I mean, in my, in my eyes, as a Spurs fan, somebody that loves Romero, that was a red card. That was a hundred. And I have no idea how VAR didn't pull that back. That That's violent conduct as far as, as far as I'm aware, you know. And that's then us losing our best defender for, what, potentially three matches off the back of that? If he's got on the red for that? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought it was going to be red. Like yeah. the second it went to it, I was like, "Oh, they!" Because uh, on our on our, mon- on our feed, we just had that we were told that VAR were looking at something, and then I was looking at tangles in the area, and I saw Cucurella mega tight to Romero, and I was like, "Oh, is this going to be a penalty?" And then I was like, "Uh oh, it's not. It's not yeah. That's not a penalty." I think um, 
And I, I am surprised. I did break, bring up the IFAB rules while I was commentating and do control F hair to just <laughs> see if like that was anywhere in the rules. And it wasn't, it's not in there, but obviously violent conduct is the thing. But, um, I think he'll he'll need that reminder, and maybe what happened yesterday, he'll come away and think, "And oh, no, I got away with one there," and it might be a good trigger and reminder because Conte, you're right, Conte, Conte's point last season with him was that he was going to get a yellow card suspension because he was getting, he obviously got sent off on Conte's first game in charge, but he was then getting yellow, yellow, yellow every game, and Spurs were short centre back. Conte was unsure maybe about, about the options beyond Dyer and Davis, and he was like. That was probably the time around the time he said that, and he probably does need that reminder. So maybe ultimately, from a Spurs point of view, good will come out of it that Romero will just remember that in that scenario. Not only did they they needed another player in the box for the corner, you know, don't get yourself sent off in that in that scenario. But you know, I think Spurs fans know how good he is, don't they? Like you come away from each game going, "Oh, he is world class. He is world class. He's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Yeah, he's." he's you know, Eric Dyer, I don't want to take anything away from Eric Dyer because I think Eric Dyer's had an exceptional kind of f- few months now, I would say. Yeah. And he was an exceptional player to begin with and whatever, you know, he, I know he struggled a lot with, um, I think it was his appendix, wasn't it? He he had real kind of issues with, um, so uh, God only knows how much of an impact that had on his game, but he's been kind of switching positions about, going through different managers, but it seems to be under Conte, he's fully focused again. And uh, into it, and it, it seems to be that having a player like Romero alongside him as well is meaning that they now have that kind of solid base together to to form a good strong partnership in there. I mean, I know it's a trio. We've got Ben Davies there at the, at the left back, but it still seems to be that kind of left of centre back. He's still a bit less anchored to to the centre of it. It does seem to be very much those two. Uh, Dyer yeah, and Romero I think so. Marshall it, you know. Um, and it's, it's funny, it's such a juxtaposition when you consider the Battle of the Bridge, how hot-headed Eric Dyer was in that game, how he's probably yeah. the cooler, cooler of the two now, you know? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Exactly. No, I think he is. I think he's, well, he has, you know, he's, he's a bit older. He has grown up a little bit. He knows he's still desperately trying to get in the England squad, a complete injustice that he wasn't in the May one. I was certain he was going to get in that it's one ridiculous. and didn't. It's ridiculous. No, it was crazy. I think what's happening maybe with Cody getting bombed out of Wolves and Mings and his stuff with Gerard, maybe it'll work in his favour. It really should, but um, he's an asset if they play three at the back. And the team is set up in many ways to help Eric Dyer distribute the ball better. Eric's not like a Toby Alderweireld's like 
70 yards on the money passer, is he? But the, t- the team is stretched out in such a way that Dyer can switch the play out to the fullbacks, the wingbacks, and work those low balls into Kane, you know, just sort of hit him and he can spin around and do whatever he does. Um, but his rebirth has been unbelievable. But Romero is a big part of that because, you know, Romero had his injury issues, had his da-da-da, and the team looked so different when it was Sanchez, Dyer, Davis. And this is no indictment on Sanchez. I think the rhythm of those guys playing together has been so key. And it really has come from that Man City game, like the 3-2 win. That Mm. felt to me, um, that was the moment where everything clicked. In fact, I'd argue the first goal where Kane, Son and Kulisevsky score um, was the moment that Conte's Spurs arrived. And that was the game where Dyer returned from injury and that back three didn't change again until Romero got injured. That game is so important, I think, in what Conte's done. And there were a couple of bumps after that game, of course. But that match, the the first outing, I think, probably, of a fully fit Romero, Dyer and Davis in the back three was was the one. And there's been... You don't hear any fans talking about Dyer's position being in question ever now, do you? Do you ever think about Dyer? think, oh, we could have someone else in there? No, not at the moment. I mean, and the thing no. is, it's just there's the... There's the stuff that can't be quantified by statistics as well, right, with Eric Dyer. He's he is a general of the club now. He's clearly one of the kind of the the people that's looked up to and respected by a lot of the squad. He seems to be very switched on. He seems to be kind of a, an erudite, smart, kind of good guy. Um and I think he now whatever, you know, in the past maybe there'd been kind of a flirtation with Manchester United and everything like that, but I think now he's very much like you know what I'm in a good place and I'm a big part of this here. I think he's really, I think he's a Tottenham man now. I would say, really, kind of firmly. Yeah, player. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in another universe, you never know. Had Conte not come, he could have been in that bracket of where Winks and yeah. and Nombele and all that find themselves now, whereby that they might be moved on. It might be better for you. It might improve your international chances if you if you leave the club. But he you do has go to, risen back to Everton or something like that. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not many people remember that, but um, absolutely, that wasn't. So, in my mind, that's that would, wouldn't have been inconceivable for him when Mourinho had a lot of faith in him. Was playing him centre mid. Was trying to get in the team. And then he really lost his place under under Mourinho. Um, but he's fought back. And Conte. It was so interesting how quickly Conte backed him. It wasn't. Oh, I've worked with him for two months, and I think he can be one of the best in his position in the world. He said it after a few weeks. It was like he read it instantly. Conte. Brilliant. Just what a manager, dear, dear me! It's, it's <laughs> pretty unbelievable. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, yeah. I'm really quite. I've, being brutally honest, I mean, people that listen to this regularly will know I had a lot of skepticism about Antonio Conte before he came in. I was. Did you? Yeah. Well, I was worried about kind of. I, I, I didn't have skepticism about his ability and what he's demonstrated before, but it was more. How is he going to get on with the hierarchy at Tottenham? Is this going to be another kind of oh, right. yeah, Mourinho yeah. Yeah. situation where he just seems really unhappy and it gets really toxic? And I kind of felt, I, I honestly, I thought after that Burnley away game, he was walking. I thought he was, I thought it was done already. Um, yeah. But from that point, it's completely changed around. I think I don't know if there's somebody around him or somebody. Maybe he's just giving his own head a wobble and just actually thought, you know what, I. Maybe they're they're not at this point one of the kind of the Premier League kind of titans, Tottenham Hotspur, but the foundation is there now. The platform is set and it's up to somebody like me, somebody of my calibre 
to turn this club around. And it it really feels that way. I mean, I do think that Tuchel had his number a bit yesterday again, but he switched it up. He changed it around. And somebody I wanted to come on to actually is Richarlison. I really thought the introduction of him for any of the naysayers, for anybody of the people that have been wondering, oh, why have we spent 60 mil on Richarlison? I think today was a prime example of why when you're at this level... You have to spend big money on great players. Great players who you know are pretty much a surefire bet. It may not be as exciting or as exotic as signing somebody from another league somewhere where there's still a bit of a... I, th- I think naturally we're all kind of drawn to taking a bit of a gamble in a way. You can see come on, someone kind of smashing it in Serie A and you should really, you should sort of academically be able to say, they will come here and perform and make our team better. But we've we've seen it across the league. Every single, whether it's one Sebastian Veron at Manchester United or whoever, one of the litany of strikers at Chelsea, and Lukaku, oh, yeah. for example, again, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. And sometimes just signing somebody, Richarlison, who is in that band of teams below Tottenham, but has regularly been one of the best players in the league or at least one of the best players easily in that kind of band of clubs below us to just sign him, to just get that done and add him as an option to the team is the sort of thing that we've seen. You know, we saw City do it with Mares. We've seen them do it with Grealish. You know, these kind of players that people think, oh, why have they spent all that money on them? But it's just what big teams do. They identify good talent that performs in the Premier League and just add it to their ranks. And that's really what we've done with Richarlison. And he, in my eyes, like was the formation change as well. But he helped kind of completely turn that game on its head. His, his, his running in that final third and his directness really suddenly gave Chelsea all manner of problems. And then it in turn freed up some of our other attacking players to kind of do what, like you were saying at the top, they were throttled throughout the majority of that game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's just disorient. I felt like that change in system, it, I don't, my, my gut feeling was that that switch to four four two wasn't, I feel this is going to be better because of the way that Chelsea are playing. I felt it was, let's switch it up because we've got to do something. We have to disorientate them from this unbelievable pattern where balls into Kane's feet, they snap it off him, da-da-da, that it was like, well, let's just give them something else to think about. I, that's what that, that tactical change felt about. And then suddenly it was two up front, and that did uh, disorientate Chelsea. They they were really unsure about who to pick up when it was Richarlison alongside Kane. And Richarlison is a great runner, great runner into the channel, great runner in behind. And on his signing and on his fee, it, that's a mentality shift that you sign a player, Spurs sign a player for £60 million and he's not a guaranteed starter. Previously, you know, so, say the signing of Tongi on Dombele, that was like, there's the next Moussa Dembele. Yeah. He's in the team for five years. Has to start, has to start, has to start. Whereas other teams at the top, aren't, as you mentioned, don't do that. They don't. They just sign really good players for a lot of money and then play them when they want to. Uh, and of course, there is a financial detrimental impact if they're absolute flops. But um, Richarlison will play big, big games this season. And the fact he can play, he played half, nearly half his minutes, 49% of his minutes as a centre forward last season for Everton. Um, tells me that it's a really smart move because he can play anywhere along that three. That all the signings, I like all the signings basically that have been made. But Richarlison, you know, you sign another Premier League team's best player, it it surely won't go too badly. It no, surely exactly. won't go too badly. 
know, he's done it in this league for a long time now. And he just, he, he, like we were saying on the top as well about the, the group and everything like that, he very much immediately seems like one of the lads. You know, it, it's just personality Absolutely. seems to have like blended yeah. so well. You saw him running to the fans immediately, piling straight in there, hugging Kay and everything. This guy has been there for a few weeks, you know. It's, it's I loved amazing. it. I loved it. I even loved the... Um... Because Lucas, Richarlison and Kane all went up for the header, didn't they? Any three of them could have scored that goal. Yeah. It's poor from Chelsea. And you see uh, Richarlison looking around like, well, I didn't touch it. Who who, who got it? And then Harry's like, oh, I got it. Da, 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 running down the line. And he just gets stuck in. I was I was loving it. you know. And it probably would have been horrible for him to have that band carry over and watch all the hype and the excitement and the other guys make their debut last week. And I don't think he did anything directly brilliant. He didn't do anything where you're like, whoa, Chelsea can't handle him, da, da, da but he disorientated the game in a really effective way. And I was looking at the bench yesterday, even without long playing skip and thinking, oh, that is strong. That is really strong. Perisic came on. Look at those deliveries. We haven't seen corners like it at Tottenham for for years. What a joke. It's it's funny, is it? Because it was that succession of like three corners and his first one was an absolute dud. And I thought like, came over (laughs) from the right and I thought, oh God, not again. This is, we signed you to to be able to deliver these. And it's almost like he was suddenly like, you know, he, Gave himself a slap around the face, stood up again, and then just delivered those those two crosses. Yeah, you said that the the start, the first one that Mendy, whether it was going over or not, or hitting the bar, I'm not sure, but it was was still awkward for him. Ben Davis's header that was tipped over the bar, and then obviously the the winner, which just felt surreal. It felt surreal to see Tottenham be doing that. And like you were talking about a Richarlison celebration there, like. It seemed to be, he was like, yeah, I didn't touch it. I don't know what's happening, but I'm really excited. I'm really happy. <laughs> yeah. So he was just kind of running about, wasn't he? Like, and like when you celebrate a dog uh, goal at home and your dog starts jumping around. <laughs> yeah, <too>. Shouting <laughs> at you, you know. <laughs> but no, I'm, uh, that Perisic's deliveries, he took corners right and left-footed. I don't know if I'd really clocked that he did that. He took right-footed ones from uh, the... And it was actually his bad one, the right-footed corner. And then he and then he whipped in those left-footed ones that were on the money, exact same position, under the goalkeeper, under the bar, or into a cluster of first players. Ridiculous, oh. ridiculous. I love that he's he's this sort of mini mentor to Ryan Sessegnon. I love that he can play in the front three if it's if it's needed, if Son needs a break or whatever. Um, and he just seems like a good egg. He didn't he didn't actually uh, he says he didn't really have a holiday. So after he signed, he was coming back from that injury. And uh, he signed at the end of May and he said he just worked to get fit. They, uh, the medical staff, I don't think, can believe he's fit after the injury he had. They don't. They're baffled as to how he's done that. And he's, he is shredded, isn't he? Oh, he, he looks like, I mean, he's like the T-1000, you know? Like he's, <laughs> he's just, yeah. he's terrifying, yeah. you know? And it's, yeah, it's just, brilliant. The fact that there's this, any sort of hint of a narrative of like him being this washed up old man, I'm like, lads, just just have a look at one of his mirror selfies, yeah? And uh, Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's an unbelievable player who's got that calm assurance of having won the lot himself. You know, he's he scored in well, a World Cup oh, final. Oh, mate, on he's... that as well. There was another great thing on that. Uh, did you see there's great footage from the Chelsea end right in front of him on a mobile phone taking that corner? And they're all, you know, they're all giving it, as you do. I have it's done, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's just like, he's all so slow, puts the ball down, looks <laughs> so relaxed. Oh, brilliant. Just then just whips in the best the best cross. So um, I wonder if he take. I don't know if he, does he take direct free kicks at goal? Because Spurs need that, don't they? I don't you know, it, need it. It must be just need the best feeling to get, to get to that like level of kind of like 
mental strength to realise the best way I can hurt these people shouting at me behind me is to go and provide the 96th minute equaliser <laughs> right in front of them and just not even acknowledge them, just trot off and join the celebrations. Yeah, you know? brilliant. It's just, yeah. Oh, it's a steely mentality and it's, it's a, you know, I was, I was absolutely delighted about that. The second we got that one done, I was like, yeah, that's a, there's no, it's a great point. Oh, there's no reservation about that. That's no, that's the type all of this, all this stuff about, oh, it's a, you mentioned it earlier that some people like, um, I chose the difference in the mentality between Chelsea and Spurs and that feels like a win. It's like, no, no, no. That feels like a win in the context of what happened. Precisely. Like the context of the game. Like, and it is two points off Chelsea in a Champions League race, the top four race. But, um, and given what's happened there in recent years, it's silly to think that that was like, I don't know how on it, because if Chelsea did that, say Spurs batted Chelsea for 90 minutes and then scored and then celebrated like that, you can't begrudge them it. Because it was all contextual. So I think there is that fight in that team. The Leicester game was obviously a good indicator of that they believe they can go all the way in games. And um, did it the other day. Did it to Chelsea. The main point is as well, if we're looking season on season, we're four points up on last season now already with these first two games. And you met, that was a great point in the last show. And if they beat Wolves, it's seven compared to zero. Exactly. Because they lost at home to Wolves last season. So, um, yeah, it'd be a great start. Add that to the 71 points last year. Already 80. The title challenge is on. It's on. It's on, <laughs> lads. It's on. Uh, um, before, before I let you go, Rob, um, I just wanted to, you know, move on from the match. I just, I just wanted to talk to you about you a bit. I wanted to sort of, you know, find out a bit more about, like, wh- when did you join Spurs? So it was 2018, so they were rampant. It was around the time they were setting up, obviously, the new stadium. We thought it was going to be ready for the Liverpool game. Yeah. And they were they were ramping up their coverage. They were adding, you know, just a more Spurs TV kind of kind of business. And um, they spoke to me. So I'm freelance, and I have a contract with Spurs and everything, but I'm a freelance commentator, so I'm, like, all over the place. And I was working out in Germany most Saturdays covering the Bundesliga at the time. And then um, someone must have heard of me or I don't know I don't know I don't know what happened still but they said do you want to would you be interested in joining doing the club TV and then it was all finalised by the May and then um, so the first season I had it was the it's the Champions League run it was the final that's pretty mad so I, I, I was crazy and obviously what a pleasure to be at some of those nights I won't underestimate like how great Dortmund was and at Wembley and um, the City win the first Champions League game at the new stadium um, yeah, it was a brilliant season. And then obviously things started to unravel a bit off the back of the Champions League finals. We all know I don't need to give any Spurs fan a timeline of what's happened in the last four or five years. But the most extraordinary four years, five years, fifth season now to cover a club. Like cr- crazy from COVID, Mourinho, Poch gone, shock Champions League final appearance, Nuno gone after a few games, uh, the new stadium, all that. Just madness, madness front to back since I've joined the club. It's been like so, so fun. Have, so, so fun. Have, have you had any of those situations? Because I was saying at the top, you know, you're synonymous with Spurs now, at least, to the to the Tottenham community. Have you had any of those situations yet, you know, when you've been calling up to sort out a gas bill or something and somebody, 
has done a double take or recognised who you are or anything like that? No. Uh, what did I, I'm embarrassed doing this kind of thing. But the the, uh, <laughs> the other day, uh, the other day, the guard we had a gardener. We, we just bought a new. Me and my wife bought a new house. The garden's a wreck. So we had to get. We were like, we need someone to literally strip this whole thing back. So this guy comes in and he's chatting to me and he's like, uh, oh, what do you do, whatever. And then he's like, oh, no, you're him. And then it sort of clocked because he was just crazy Spurs fan. Crazy Spurs really? fan. He was like, oh, men- madness, madness. He was, like, he was Between you and me, he was on the he was on the WhatsApps trying to get free tickets off me within about two hours. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> you've, got, you've got to appreciate his endeavour, I guess. You know. I loved it. I loved it. I was like, I can't do that. But I loved it. But... Um, no, it's nice, and and it, what's really nice is like, <laughs> uh, well, actually, ever since um, ever since the Leicester game, um, shout out to Joe by the way if he's listening to this podcast. But uh, but um, ever since the Leicester game, things have been different. No one, um, I don't know if people really clocked that I was around the club or anything. And then off the back of the Bergvine goal, and uh, my commentary on that, I don't know. People started to. Um, realize i existed or something because now when i walk around the stadium people say hello it's lovely like it's really really nice like i was outside i was actually waiting for a lift off ben ben was driving me into town after the southampton game the other day and this woman went um <laughs> what did she shout at me i was out of my spurs suit i was just in my civvy so i didn't know if, and she just shouted oi commentator man <laughs> which i'll even i'll even i'll even take that and they started chatting to me she was lovely but um no, mate, it's been it's been great. I love it. I think I found the, job. I think I found the title for the pod now, at least, Rob, as well. Oi, commentator, <laughs> man. Like... Yeah, or cheeky gardener. Yeah, one of the one of the one of the two. One of the two will do. Yeah. Um, um, how did how did you get into? I've always wondered this. How how do you get into football commentary? How how do I'm not looking to do it myself. I'm not coming to take your job, mate. I, I wouldn't have that. I don't know. You've got a good voice, there, Jack. I think you'd be alright. You know, I am. Um, I was a I was a news journalist, so I did journalism at uni, but so I was. You know, reading news bulletins, local radio stations, all that kind of thing. But then occasionally they'd say, we need someone to cover Colchester United this weekend. We need someone to interview Joe Royal, who was Ipswich manager at the time, because we're going back uh, mid-noughties kind of thing. And um, so I was doing it around then, and I'd go interview Pardew for West Ham, all these local radio stations, did journalism at uni, and then I was a news journalist, but then started getting offered a little bit of football reporting work. And then someone said, actually, can you do updates? You know, we just do your 30-second hit into a show of what's happened in the game. And then someone, for some reason, will give you a chance. In would say, we need someone to do a commentary. Do you fancy giving it a go? And so I've been doing it since 2000 and... I can't believe this, but since 2004. Because th- I was 18 when I started, so 2004. So a long time. So it's being a journalist, really, and the best commentators, I think, personally, are people who have who have worked as journalists and know what a story is. Like when... It's, it's, it is important because you think football commentary is just about shouting names and having some stats ready, but really it is understanding what's happened here, like in a broader context, to say the right thing. And especially with Spurs, because like I don't commentate for a live feed. No one's listening to my commentary live. I do it live, but I'm not, you can't hear it live. So like the goals are almost like these little time capsules of what did that goal mean at the time? And that is in my head when I do Spurs. I think these will appear on social media for three, four years, blah, 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 blah. And you want to know what the story is. And sometimes the story is just, oh, my God, like yesterday or Bergvine or Lucas Moura against Ajax. But then to other times there is a broader story to be told when you contact the goal. So I feel the journalism background is like massive. 
in um, but I don't miss I don't miss doing serious news, mate. That's a it was a drag, <laughs> especially <laughs> especially nowadays, mate. As well, like oh. there's much nice news to talk about, is there really at the moment? Unfortunately, I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine how glum you come home thinking <laughs> thinking about the awful stuff you've had to cover. I think I think the thing I d- that I noticed most about your style, mate, to to, to give you some kudos is that. It, it feels like it feels like from your commentary that you just you love football that you really get into it like I don't know it's some sometimes commentators you can feel that they're kind of I don't know I, I don't want to take away from anything because I know I've I've in my sort of job I've, I've interviewed Clive Tilsley before and I've spoken to him about his process and I've seen the amount of preparation that you guys have to put into it you know and the attention to mm. detail and it, it, it almost makes me feel anxious kind of thinking about like having to remember all the players, remember all the names of every player on every team, even some random signing that Watford have made at some point or whatever that you have oh, to you, have. You get caught out. You do get caught out, yeah. I'm sure yeah. you do, but you all, you all manage to mask it pretty well. Other than, I guess, now the age of Twitter, you get somebody, uh, actually, you said this player was this. But... Oh, mate, the amount of... Oh, I don't want to get in touch with Twitter group. <laughs> but... like, I, just, I just ignore it, but um, yeah, that does happen too. I just yeah. think the fact that you've, you've got all that going on, but it still seems to be that sometimes, you know, like the Bergwijn goal you're talking about in particular, you know, that you can just lose yourself to it and just kind of, just really kind of capture that emotion, knowing what it means to the fans, knowing what it means to the players. And like you say, capture that moment in time. We always see like, you know, Peter Drury, one of the one of the goats, as people always say, the way he does it, you know, his, his poetic kind of style he'll do, especially in those big Champions League games, it's... It's great, mate, and it's uh, it's great to have you on board. It's great to have you as no, uh, that's so nice, mate. That stuff, mate. Like, that's so that is so nice to hear, and uh, that's actually what I'd want people to listen to me content and think, not think, oh, it's Spurs fan TV. You're getting this like completely biased thing. I just want people to think that I feel like I'm in it when it's happening. And Peter Drury is the is the quintessential guy for that, really, because. If you ever hear him talk about football, my God, it makes you want to just go watch old football matches because he's so passionate and and uh, really clear. And it's just great when you hear. And like when something like that happens, you know, like the ga- the game yesterday and all that. And I can't help but love it. So I was, I was doing City on Saturday for a for a TV Premier Sports. They've got the rights to the Premier League in in Ireland. So they so we were doing City uh, City uh, uh, Bournemouth. And when De Bruyne scores that goal, I couldn't help but just let go because it was just such brilliant. Ridiculous, wasn't it? Ridiculous. Oh, so brilliant. And, I, and, I, and it is really nice to let go and then listen to it back and hear that you didn't sound absolutely insane. Because <laughs> no, that was my fear with Bergvine. I knew I'd said some weird stuff. And I was like, uh-oh, what happened? And then I came in. Why is my shirt off? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why am I wet through like what has happened and then I'll go through to the gallery and they were laughing and I was like oh no I've done something really embarrassing and silly and then um, they were like no it's really good it's fine it's fine but they just I think because they could sort of half see me doing it and all that they were just laughing but then it, it did turn out alright I did say some silly stuff in there but people like that I think exactly. it's, what we, yeah. it's, it's what we want mate it's the, it's the, the great level of the grand <laughs> spectacle of football like you know you just lose yourself to it sometimes i would say though just just between me and you and a few people listening do you ever just sometimes just want to sit and watch a match do you know what i mean like you sometimes like i can't be asked today <laughs> you know like sometimes i just, I just yes. want to watch this you know yeah no. sometimes you do if it's a big game no you want to be like you want to feel like you're in it a little bit but sometimes you love 
here we here we um, here we go again. And then also when you're a commentator, when you're watching football matches at home, you can't help but think, oh, I wouldn't do that. This commentator's doing my nut. Oh, I think that was really good. You're almost watching a commentary. So I do have to sort of uh, dial out a little bit. But a newborn baby's good for that. She'll sort of shock you back into into um, into reality and to stop. But it's also it's good to be away from football. Like by after Norwich, I was like, I'm done with football for a bit. You know, I, I was very happy for the season to be over. The and then Southampton on holiday went on about 15 little trips away. And then um, by the time Southampton came, I turned up five hours before kickoff. That's how excited it was for the, for the Southampton game. I really don't need to turn up that early. But I was so, so, so pumped to get back. So, um, and it's been a good start, isn't it? Good start, mate. Great to, great to be back. And I presume you're, are you going to be there on Saturday for, for Wolves? Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd so. you sit? What's your, what's your view? I'm not season ticket holder. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a member. Are you uh, ping around? Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I like to jump about the the ground. So, but it, for this on this occasion, I'm in uh, I'm in the safe standing bit, South Lower. So, I'm uh, oh, fun. Yeah, looking forward to I'm looking forward to the to the buzz around the game, and it's it's nice to have already these games like you know it's a Saturday lunchtime kickoff, and well, there's a train strike, so it might kind of take things off, oh, take yeah, the edge off yeah. a little bit, but still, it feels like there's such excitement around the club that people want to be there and they're going to try their hardest to get there and make it make it a, a good atmosphere because I think everybody knows now every single game counts if you if you really want to m- fight for those top things doesn't matter if it's early on in the season you can't you can't lose any games now you can't no uh, and, and no, I mean seven points from these three games feels way more significant than the, the nine that Spurs had from three at the start of Nuno you know this it just feels like that be to beat Southampton and Wolves who won at Spurs last season at home and to have got something at Chelsea just feels like a dream a dream start. I think he would have taken that all day. So um, let the good mood continue. Q, Wolves win 3-0 on Saturday. No, not happening. We made, it, <laughs> we made, a, made a sterner stuff now. It's not happening. But it's been an Absolutely. absolute delight, Rob. Thank you very much for, for giving us your time this afternoon. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. So, oh, mate, I mean, I'm actually, full disclosure to everyone listening, I'm... My baby is asleep, so I'm sat in the car. I've done this whole thing from the car like Alan Partridge. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so um, mate, it's been a pleasure. I love your show. And um, if you want me back on, I'm, uh, I'm game. Being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.